This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, where professional readers give voice to articles from Canada's best general interest magazine. I'm your host, Roger Ashby. To build the life of her dreams, Skye must first escape her dead-end maritime town. Years later, she learns that you can reinvent yourself, but you can't leave tragedy behind. Paul Berry reads Seahorse by Alex Olin. Alex Olin's most recent story collection, We Want What We Want, was published in July. She lives in Vancouver and is the director of the University of British Columbia School of Creative Writing. I'm Lori Wilson. This is an article titled The Maximalist Home by Murray Silkoff. Last January, shortly before the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic, Sotheby's in New York put together what was supposed to be a modest auction of a dead interior decorator's things. Mario Buada rose up in the 1980s as, quote, the Prince of Chintz, having decked out the homes of some of America's wealthiest families, Doubledays, new houses, but also celebrities like Mariah Carey. In the maniacally floral, overstuffed country house style of the early 19th century English Regency, if the Regency had steroids and disco, it might have looked more like Buada's version of it. At any rate, when he died in 2018, he left no will. Only five storage units and two homes stacked to the ceilings with the types of finds one might imagine belong to a man who slept on a Chinese four-poster bed, crowned by an Ottoman-style dome near columns carved to look like windswept palm trees. The auction was expected to attract a small crowd of insiders, establishment interior designers, ancient gentry with subscriptions to town and country, essentially the sorts of people who might remember Buwada's era of more is more excess firsthand. Instead, the auction turned into a two-day international selling frenzy. There were feverish bidding wars for just about every item. A dolphin-shaped Venetian grotto stand, a painted toll shell form, perdonium on wheels, an imperfect porcelain tureen shaped like a bunch of asparagus, estimated at between $2,000 and $3,000, went for $25,000, all figures U.S., Quote, so much for minimalism, said attendee Blaine Trump, Donald Trump's ex-sister-in-law to the New York Times. But the thing about the Buada stampede was that nobody really knew where all these mystery bidders were coming from. Some were minor style bloggers. Many were, surprisingly, under 50. Still, everyone at the auction seemed to feel the same thing, like a lid had been lifted, revealing years of pent-up desire for the full, the festive, the flagrantly jouissant. Quote, clearly there's a lot of people fed up with monochromatic interiors, Sotheby's Dennis Harrington told The Times, and newly excited by Mario's maximalist style. Style is a pendulum, and it likes drama in its swing. This minimal to maximal shift is happening not just in New York, but everywhere and at every price point. If, over the pandemic, you did any houseware shopping, be it at Walmart or a more high-end retailer, you may have noticed that the items you purchased had a bit more color, a bit more pattern, a bit more eccentricity than the ones they were replacing. 
and you may have also noticed that this pop of energy pleased you. The internet doesn't take a shift like this lying down. Over the past year, a new home-related polarization has also erupted online, with several publications pitting the decor styles against each other. Quote, Minimalism is dead. Meet maximalism, crowed one Vox headline, while Harper's Bazaar asked, quote, Minimalism versus maximalism. Which is more stylish? Of course, no real war is raging between gaily tufted slipper chairs and sober Danish coffee tables. No Pythonesque general is demanding we choose between plain and patterned plates. But it does feel like the finger-wagging minimalism that informed the housewares and home design market for over a decade, lining everywhere from Ikea to Ethan Allen with sober, grayish pottery and righteously untraded wood, is losing relevance, while its opposite is gaining currency. For a few years now, the rooms featured on popular decor sites and the homes of style influencers like Aurora James or Cara Delevingne have been willfully diverse, drunk on self-expression, and packed with stuff. Places where messy bedrooms are displayed as a sign of life rather than a problem to be fixed. The pandemic has had a deeply transformative effect on our relationships to our homes, wreaking as much havoc on our houses as on our hearts and health. We've been grateful for the sanctuary of our spaces and hateful for being cooped up, lulled into simplicity and family time by lockdown, but also roused into states of suffering and discord. Our homes, like never before, have become the vessels in which we experience life's weather. So it's no surprise that minimalism, with its concentration on order and blank slate perfection, has not endured COVID-19 in the best condition. In a consumer culture, minimalism was always a somewhat fancy land ruse. It was domestic anorexia sold as health, materialism repackaged as its opposite, Perfectionism hawked as peace. It was the perversion of labeling a home curated down to zero, the ultimate luxury or, worse, virtue. Some of these old ideas are trotted out in a new book by Montreal minimalists Laurie Barrett and Stephanie Mandrea, Minimal, for Simple and Sustainable Living. Chapters feel distinctly pre-pandemic in their directives, littered with tips on how to make your own lip exfoliant, tie-dye old sheets with hibiscus water, or maintain open kitchen shelves with breakfast cereal decanted into glass jars. But these days, there is nothing that feels, quote, simple about any of these propositions, if there ever was. The first thing I thought when I read the quote introducing the family section, quote, children don't need more things. The best toy a child can have is a parent who gets down on the floor and plays with them. Was not now, ladies. Not now. The world is too real. If you can get full lotus on the size all matting and be your kid's only plaything, wonderful. But I am a 48-year-old working mom, divorced, and at home with two little girls and deadlines. It's not really possible to neutralize a chaotic life with homemade granola and a collection of jute shopping bags hung from beechwood pegs. And increasingly, it feels dishonest to pretend otherwise. This kind of aspirational simplicity was already attracting backlash pre-pandemic. 
Marie Kondo, the decluttering phenom who encouraged millions to, quote, spark joy by throwing out heaps of perfectly good things, was met with substantial ridicule when she began selling, quote, essentials like silicone head massagers and $61 paperweights on her website. Then there was Kanye and Kim Kardashian West's, quote, minimal monastery. The almost hilariously unlivable monochromatic renovation of their suburban California McMansion was completed last year and covered everywhere from Entertainment Tonight to Architectural Digest. Inside the reverse bling all-white abyss, the TV was hidden in the floor, the sinks looked like marble mortuary slabs, and the furniture was spaced so far apart it assured that nobody could ever have a conversation. Now divorced from Kanye, Kim, who kept the property, is said to be, quote, redecorating the home, using its extra space as a, quote, warehouse for all her stuff. Maximalism, a Moorish style where overlap, accident, and letting your personality hang out are encouraged, comes as a relief if only because it is forgiving. Its current revival includes anything you can throw in, old, new, ugly, beautiful, useful, totally useless. This time around, in contrast to Mario Buada's extravagant era, it feels less about decadence, showiness, and richesse, and more about diversity, acceptance, and fun. There's been interest in the 1980s Pee Wee's Playhouse look of designers like Ettore Sotsas, in quirky flea market finds, in DIY hacks, and for the first time in ages, in antique furniture, which had become so unloved during minimalism's clean sweep that New York's annual winter antique show was rebranded The Winter Show. Unsurprisingly, the clutter-loving British, designers like Rita Koenig, Martin Brodnitsky, and Ben Pentreath are leading the new maximalist charge. In her debut book, Every Room Should Sing, up-and-coming Swedish-born London-based interior designer Beta Human writes, quote, I am endlessly putting paw feet on armchairs and embroidering eyelashes onto sofas. I suppose I am trying to get people to connect with seemingly inanimate objects and see what I see when I look at furniture. The armchair may not be alive, but it is certainly not dead. During peak COVID-19, I did lots of room travel in my own home. Like many of you, I was left with an increasing detachment from the grand before. The memory of what was once normal was dimming. My recent divorce didn't help, but my furniture did, because while my hallway looked like a cinematic cliché of marital disillusion lined with empty picture hooks, most of my rooms were layered with things that had once belonged to people I love, my parents, my step-parents, my grandparents. In my loneliness, my furniture felt like a reminder that life is an ongoing story. I have a set of modernist Brewer cane chairs given to me by childhood friends from their parents' home. And every time I use them, I remember their old house, where I spent many latchkey afternoons, hammocked by a family that kept an eye on me when my own newly divorced parents could not. 
This biographizing of decoration has a natural landing place online, with a new kind of hard blogging, Instagramming, brand collaborating, guru weaving their own identities, families, and homes into everything they showcase. Notable among this cadre is Jungalo's Justina Blakeney, who pins her Black and Jewish heritage at the center of her California maximalism. Blakeney's look is boho and multicultural, filled with tropical plants and globally sourced textiles. In her latest book, Jungalo, Decorate Wild, Blakeney's off-stated dedication to diversity and self-actualization translates into, quote, magic-in-the-mix styles, to which she gives, somewhat clunky, names like, quote, Maroc Cali, Turk-Exian, or New Mexi-Copenhagen. Within this frame, we see the therapeutic and virtuous qualities long held in the court of minimalism getting lobbed over into maximalism. In both humans and Blakeney's books, the language of wellness is used freely, as if it's a fait accompli that, for decor to be meaningful today, it must also be curative. Interiors are, after all, our insides, but they are also places, like anything else subject to fashion, where our desires are worn on the outside. For several seasons now, runways have been veering toward the overstated, Gucci shows have been devoid of tasteful black and beige, which have been replaced by Cavalier King Charles Spaniel varsity jackets, Bananas Elton John sunglasses, and Cherry Red Mary Janes. Not long ago, I tried giving a teenager a pair of skinny jeans, and she pointed to the lilac wide-legged raver pants she was wearing and said she'd basically rather die. In trendy cuisine, we're seeing plates that look lusciously heaped and haphazard instead of tiny meandering dribbles beside single microgreens. In perfumery, clean florals are fading, while cutting-edge perfumers like Byredo and Arquiste are presenting heady musks, patchouli, and what could easily be called B.O. notes. The overarching idea seems to be an expressive, connective humanity, an intentional hot mess. If minimalism was about controlling the static and crashing of a world spinning too fast, maximalism may be more about filling in a void of loneliness and isolation. The number of people living alone in Canada has more than doubled over the last 35 years. In both Canada and the U.S., young people are having less sex than ever. Most millennials and Gen Zers do their dating through the internet and a good part of their socializing through their phones. And all this before COVID-19 made everyone's lives even less tactile. We all know that feeling after two hours of online shopping, scrolling social media, or streaming a work webinar. Human experiences shorn of humans. It's something like a cold, empty bowl in your gut where the generative stuff would normally take seed. So, perhaps it's no surprise that, if one feels like a sexless husk living in a disconnected, digitized life, getting a pink velvet settee can be just what the decor doctor ordered. And if, in this extravaganza of muchness, you bash your shin on a slipper chair or a shell-form perdonium on wheels, at least you will feel something. And if, in a few years, the wallpaper and throw cushions become suffocating— Rest assured that your interiors will change again, because your insides have.
That was an article titled The Maximalist Home by Murray Silkoff. I'm Lori Wilson. You've been listening to Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio, produced by Don Dickinson. Audio engineering by Sam Robinson and Bill Shackleton. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank, and I'm your host, Roger Ashby. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating and review and subscribe for more. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.